0: Well, let's take our Bibles this morning. I want to give you a challenge today. John chapter 16. And uh, I have something here for everybody today. Let's stand, please. John chapter 16, out of respect to the Word of God, we want to read God's Word. You say, where does the Bible say we're supposed to stand for the reading of God's Word? Well, many times they stood, but you might want to look up Nehemiah chapter 8, Nehemiah chapter 8, and we find the people of God standing at the reading of the Word of God. We also read there, why do we use pulpits? Well, the Bible says there in Nehemiah chapter 8, they used a pulpit made of what? Amen? Not of acrylic, not of plastic, out of wood. Amen? Okay, that's Bible. And so we we just want to follow the Bible and what God says there. But it's an encouraging, encouraging passage there in Nehemiah chapter 8 about the reading of God's Word. And uh, today we're going to look at a passage that is very encouraging, very needful. If you've been saved a long time, this passage will help you. If you just got saved, it'll help you today. And I want you to go with me to verse 23. And... um, I'm going to read all of it this morning. I just want you to follow because I may stop in between things and say some things. And we're going to get in this passage and it will help you today. If you're struggling in some area. And by the way, all of us do. It will give you what you need today. Notice verse 23. Jesus said this. And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. I love verse 24. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. Why should you pray? Because God wants you to have fullness of joy. Verse 25. These things have I spoken unto you. Now, he says that several times. He says that in verse 1. He talks. Let me tell you why I'm telling you these things. That's what he's saying there. He says, These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs. But the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. At that day you shall ask in my name, and I say not unto you that I, I will pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loveth you, because you have loved me, and it believed that I came out from, the, from God. I came forth from the Father, and am come unto the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said unto him, Lo, now speakest thou plainly, and speakest no proverbs. Now, when I read that as a pastor, that encourages me, because sometimes people say, What were you talking about? What were you preaching there? What was that all about? And Jesus is saying the same thing. He says, sometimes you don't understand the preacher there. He says, he says now they said, hey, just talk to us plainly. And I'm going to try to do that this morning. I'm going to try to talk to you plainly today. He, says, he said, don't, don't speak to us in Proverbs. Now he said in verse 30, now are we sure that thou knowest all things. By the way, Jesus does know all things. Amen? Amen. Now we are sure that thou knowest all things. And needest not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou camest forth from God. Now that's the disciples speaking. Jesus answered them. Notice this question. Do ye now believe? Do ye now believe? Faith is an essential component of living for God. Faith is a starting point to the Christian life. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Do ye now believe? You see, every time the Word of God is read and preached to us, we have to stop and ask ourselves the question. The Holy Spirit speaks to us, do you now believe? Then notice verse 32. Behold, the hour cometh, yea, it now is, is now, is now come, that ye shall be scattered every man to his own and shall leave me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. Now, you stop there for a minute. He's telling them, listen, you guys, you guys just told me a few minutes before you're all there with me. You said you'll never leave. In fact, De- Peter said in John chapter 13, Jesus, don't be afraid. I will never leave you. But he said here in verse 31, verse 32, all of you shall be scattered. You're all going to run. You're going to be like someone that sheds light and there's cockroaches all the cockroaches are scattered. He says you're going to scatter away. You're going to run away. But notice verse 33. These things have I spoken unto you. Now he's speaking to us. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And I want to preach you this morning a very simple thought. Living right side up in an upside down world. Living right side up in an upside down world. Jesus said... In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Father, thank you today that the Lord Jesus Christ is our God. He is our Savior. He's God only wise. He's the Lord who's our shepherd. He's the Lord who's our righteousness. He's the Lord who's our peace. Thank you that he's the King of kings and he's the Lord of lords thank you today that Jesus is to be lifted up above all else we thank you today that God that he is the living water to every soul that drinketh of him we thank you today that God he's living bread for those who partake of him we thank you today that Christ is the resurrection and the life he said he that believeth on me though he were dead yet shall he live we thank you today, as we saw a couple of weeks ago. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the true vine, and you, dear God, are the, the husbandman. We thank you today that Christ wants to be the savior of every person who's not saved today. And we thank you today, Christ wants to be near and dear and close to every heart of every believer. Father, speak to us today. Father, we pray that you peel back the hardness of heart and you peel back, God, the barriers that are keeping your word from speaking to us. Lord, I pray this morning that you'll speak to married couples. I pray that you speak to single people. I pray that you'll speak to our retirees. I pray that you'll speak to those who are encumbered by debt. In fact, everyone here today, all of our students, everyone represented here, speak to us, Lord, in a personal way. Speak to us in an understandable way. I pray that we'd realize how we can find the peace that Jesus said we can have. He said, "'These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace.'" Father, today, work past all those barriers. Help us not to let any of the Word of God fall to the ground. The Bible says, how should we escape if we neglect so great salvation? And today, help us to take very seriously the Word of God and to treat this service and, Lord, the preaching of your Word as if, the very last, as if this was the very last time we were to ever hear your Word. Father, may you do a miraculous work and wonderful work. We pray, Lord, today for those who do not know Christ as Savior, that today they would bow their hearts and heads and call on the Lord to save them. We pray for Christians who are perhaps, uh, for whatever reason, have gotten far away from you, that they'll draw near to you. We pray for those who are taking those baby steps of the Christian life, that they'll go even further and taking more steps for you. Help us to walk by faith and not by sight. Help us to grow this morning in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll give you thanks and glory for all that we hear and what is done today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people say, amen. Okay, you may be seated. Let me give you the backdrop real quickly. Our Lord Jesus Christ is now at the Garden of Gethsemane. He's walked out of Jerusalem... He's descended down the hill of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a city on a hill. He's descended down the hillside and made a turn. He's led the disciples across what's called the Kidron Brook. After crossing that brook, they're making their way up a familiar path they had made many times before. They're looking there at what's called the Mount of Olives. And there in a full moon is the Mount of Olives is glistening by that moonlight. They see, these, they see the glistening of the grapevines all over there. We saw last week Jesus giving the discourse about the vine and the branches. He talked them about growing in grace and abiding in him and fellowship with him and being fruitful. He told them, listen, when I go, you need to be fruitful people. But as we get into this, notice in chapter chapter 16, verse 1, he starts off, he transitions. They're now in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he transitions by saying, these things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. Now you want to circle that word offended. We'll come back to it in a little bit here. But the word offended, we get our word scandal from that word. It's the word scandalizo. And it has the idea of departure. It has has the idea of abandonment. It has the idea of just running away and departing. That was a very serious thing. He said, I've spoken these things to you. These men were at a place where their morale and their courage was very low. Some of us get that way. Sometimes our, we can be very discouraged and our morale can be very low. If you work in an environment that's a pressure cooker environment, you've got a boss or manager that's very difficult to work with, or he doesn't, he or she doesn't like you, or maybe that, or whatever it may be, you feel under pressure. You get to a place where you don't enjoy going there. And you feel like, man, I just want to leave. And you're feeling right now, you're in a spot in your life because of difficulties, because of debt, because of marital issues, maybe raising your children, or just personal issues you've got going on. You might be at that place you feel the same way. These disciples, their morale was very, very low. They are at this place looking at the Garden of Gethsemane. And they were there looking and wondering, what's going on? And why is Jesus talking about a little while he's going away? And why does Jesus keep telling us he's going to die on the cross? And how come he doesn't have confidence in us? And why is he telling us we're going to run away? because Jesus knows all about us. Amen? And so we look at this situation here, and he's making a turn, and he's standing there at the Garden of Gethsemane. They're looking there at those grapevines, and he's about to walk in that garden because we get to John chapter 17, in John chapter 17, we have the record of one of the prayers that Jesus prayed in that Garden of Gethsemane. We have a record there of prayers. He prayed for them, and he prays for us. And he's getting them prepared and ready for the fact that that, that he's going to be crucified on the cross, but they haven't really got their minds around that. Kent Hughes, who wrote a wonderful commentary in the Gospel John's entitled that ye may believe," said this on page 383. He said the disciples had been up all night; they had no nourishment since the Last Supper. Then came a dizzying world of ev- world of events: the exit from the upper room, the descent from the dark walls of Jerusalem, the ascent up the slopes of Olivet, the vigil at Gethsemane, with the Master repeatedly casting himself down in prayer. Peter's denial and curses, and soon after would come the growling, ravenous mob and the butchery of our Lord at Golgotha. This was a mystery that cannot be fully described. Listen, brother and sister in Christ, these disciples minus Judas are listening to our Lord, and here in chapter 16, we have our Lord Jesus Christ giving them final words before he takes Peter James and John, and he goes to that Garden of Gethsemane, and he takes them there, and he throws himself into prayer. We have the record of that prayer over in Matthew chapter 26. We have the record of that prayer also in Luke chapter 22, and here in John chapter 17. We have the record of God Christ praying. But before we get to the prayer, we see the final words of our Lord Jesus Christ in giving words to bolster their confidence, to strengthen them in their heart, to help them realize that, you know, you're going to face some tough times. Beloved, I want to tell you this morning, if you haven't figured it out, we're facing some tough times. And life, as you get older, life doesn't get easier. Life gets a little bit tougher. But in this, in this study this morning, as we consider, especially verse 33, in our study this morning, we're going to see how the power of Jesus Christ is the only power and the only remedy for our fears, for our anxieties, for our suffering, and for our difficulties. It's the power of Jesus Christ that's going to get you through your tough times. It's the power of Jesus Christ that's going to get you through your sorrows. It's, you sorrow. it's the power of Jesus Christ that's going to get you through your cancer treatments the power of Jesus Christ. It's going to get you through those sleepless nights. It's the power of Jesus Christ that we needed in the past. We need today. And we're going to need for tomorrow. So this morning we want to see some things about our Lord Jesus Christ, how he encourages us, how we can live right side up in an upside down world. He said in verse 33, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye shall have peace in the world. You shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Notice four things we learned for this passage Scripture so we can have power, we can have enablement, we can have we can have a direction from our Lord and how to get past our times of difficulties. Number one, our Lord speaks is about crippling tribulation. He speaks is about crippling tribulation. Notice what He says here again. He uses two words in verse 33 that we must take a moment to define. He said, "In the world, ye shall have tribulation." Now, circle two words: the word "world" and the word "tribulation." The word "world." world tribulation. Now John used in this gospel, as well as in his epistles later on, the word world many times. In the gospel of John, the word world is used 59 times. Now when he uses the world, he's not only talking about the cosmos we're living in, he's talking about the world philosophy. He's talking about the world's pressures. He's talking about the world's difficulties. He's talking about the cruelty and toughness of this world. He's not, he's not taking us on a worldwide adventure. He's talking about the reality of this world. In John chapter 14, world is used six times. In John 15, it's used six times. In John 16, he uses it eight times. Notice, he used in verse 8, he uses the word world in verse 11, it's used in verse 20, it's used in verse 21, it's used in verse 28, and verse 33. And then in John 17, as he prays, he uses it 19 times. Why is he talking about that? Because the world we live in is filled with trouble. The world we live in is a chaotic world. The world we live in is a world filled with sin, hostility, rejection, betrayal, and violence. In fact, First John 5:19. You might want to mark this down if it's not in your notes. Here's how John summarized the world. Are you listening? He said, the whole world lieth in wickedness. This world is no friend to the Christian. The Bible says to be a friendship with the world is to be at enmity with God. This world, the whole world lieth in wickedness. Now thank God you can go to some destination spots that are very pretty, that are very beautiful. Some places, perhaps on your bucket list, a place to go to. But I remind you, there's no city. there's there's no place, there's no culture, there's no continent, there's no country, there's no place where somehow, way, you're not going to run into corruption, you're going to run into some difficulties, you're going to run into some sin. I remind you this morning, this whole world lieth in wickedness. A second word John uses is the word tribulation. Do you see that in verse 33? Now, tribulation is a word for trouble. Now, how many of you feel like you're facing trouble in your life? Amen? Got a little bit of trouble here and there. I remind of a, of a story. A father came home from work. Before supper, and he saw his little five-year-old daughter sitting there on the steps, and she had her, her, her hands under her chin like this, and she looked very forlorn and discouraged and down, and she was not normally like that. She wasn't smiling. And so the father went up to her and said, hey, honey, is there something wrong? And this is what she said, yes. All day long, I've been having trouble with your wife. And I think sometimes that's how we feel about things. You know, we feel like we're having trouble. Now, if you're having trouble with your wife, I'll fix that after church. Amen? If you're having trouble with your husband, fix it later. But I think we understand what he's saying there. That sometimes we can feel like when things are not going the way we think it should go, we feel like we're having trouble. You ever have your car break down? You know what I'm talking about. You ever have something go wrong in your kitchen? You ever have something go wrong in your backyard? You ever have your plumbing overflow? I mean, sometimes we have trouble and things like that. But he's talking about personal troubles here. Now, notice some things here. The word for tribulation, I'm going to write this down here. The word for tribulation is a Greek word that has the idea of of like a vice. And where you're being pressured on all sides. And it literally means this. The word tribulation means this. Okay, watch this. It means pressed together. It's a vice that presses all the life out of you. It, it just, it's a compression. It's just pressing everything out. It's a pressing together. And sometimes we find this word tribulation in the New Testament translated as tribulation, affliction, anguish, distress, oppression, even persecution, even pressure, even straits. Notice verse 22. Jesus said this, uh, actually verse 20 21 and 22. Actually go back 2021. 20, he says, Ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. You shall be sorrowful. Then he goes in verse 21. He uses, he uses correlation, this analogy. He says the sorrow that we can experience in this world is likened to a woman going through birthing travail. Now, every woman who's given birth to a child understands birth in travail. There's no, there's no words to describe it. It's an excruciating amount of discomfort and pain and difficulty for a long period of time until that baby is born. And he describes the troubles we go through and the sorrows as being like birthing travail. And he's just basically saying to us in these verses of Scripture, in verse 16, Jesus is just being very real, very transparent, transparent with us, that we live in a pressure cooker world. We live in a place where we feel like we're pressed beneath the pressures. Job pressures, financial pressures, relationship pressures, school pressures, accomplishment pressures, success pressures, uh, production pressures. I mean, we feel like we have this compression on us. We have a lot of pressure. Traffic pressure, mental pressure, you name it. We just feel like we're in this place. And quite honestly, the world not only wants to crush us beneath its pressure, it wants to cripple us. I read a statement that I'll quote to you today. A man by the name of Peter Lord said this, if you're living in a world where Everyone limps, a person who walks normally is considered abnormal. Now I want you to see some things. Notice in verse chapter 16 we see a diversity of tribulations. A diversity of tribulations. There are many kinds of tribulations. Look in chapter one, chapter 16, and he talks about this here. He says, You'll be offended in verse 1, he says, you're going to be, be at a place where you're going to want to scatter and run away. He says in verse 2, they're going to put you out of the synagogues, and the time comes that they're going to try to kill you, and they're thinking they're going to do God a service. He's just being real with them. He says, if you're going to really live for me, if you're going to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, you're going to have some trouble. You're going to have some pushback. Listen, if you just got saved, you're going to find that family, you would think your family is going to embrace the fact that you got saved. But maybe the people most hostile to your faith in Jesus Christ might be those who in your own family. You might think of some of your friends that you think that you want to get the gospel to, you might think, well, I hope that they, they're going to rejoice about, uh, about salvation as I have. But they may not. They may not want to lead their lifestyle. They may not want to lead their sin and continue the way they are. I mean, chapter 16, as we read through this, it's a very, it's, it's a very, uh, very sobering chapter because it reminds us of the sorrows and troubles and rejections and hostilities we have. There's many diversities of, of tribulation we, feel, we find. Notice there's hardships through tribulation. Listen, when you have tribulation, things are tough. There's the stress of your job. There's difficulty in your work. There's declining health. I mean, if you come Wednesday nights and get our prayer page, look on that prayer page of health needs in town and health needs out of town and ministry friends. We've got a lot of people there that are listed with health needs. We have a, a man in our church yesterday or this earlier this week who uh, in his home, he fell down and he hit a chair. As he, did so, he fractured some ribs and he's not here this morning. And we prayed with him yesterday to try to encourage him a little bit there. But we have situations like... that i mean we have the hardships of tribulation hey there's the there's the hurt from tribulation notice in verse 20 again jesus said the world shall rejoice but you shall be sorrowful you know the sadness of it we're gonna look around and say why is everybody happy why is everybody happy i'm hurting look with me to psalms 37 it's not in your notes you got to turn there go to psalms 37 notice in psalms 37 the psalmist tells us something all of us can identify with in psalms 37 please turn there In Psalms 37, David wrote this as an older man. He's saying, You know, I'm I'm just kind of frustrated. He says, I I don't know why everybody else is happy because I don't feel very happy about things. And notice in Psalms 37, he said this Fret not thyself. You ever fret? You ever get frustrated? You ever grumble under your breath? You ever get frustrated with other people and other things? You say, hey, how come they're prospering? How come they're doing good? They're not honest and they're deceitful and they're not even saved. And why are they getting away with all that? And he says, fret not thyself. Notice, because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. Hey, there's hurt. The psalmist David was writing, he was hurt. Listen, he had been hurt by his own family. He'd been hurt by his best counselor. He'd been hurt by some of his soldiers, those men that were called mighty men. A few of them were not necessarily with him. They were kind of taking sides with, with Joab. And Joab said some despairing some things that, in a disparaging way towards David. And David felt this way in his old life as a, as a man at 69, 70 years of age. But, but he's writing and he said, Hey, fret not thyself because of evildoers, because of them who prosper in the way. I and mean, may I remind you this morning there's the hurt from tribulation should... Sure relationships fail. Emotional hurt leaves us scars. Loneliness and sorrow it stays with us when we lose a loved one. I told our homebuilders class this morning, I said, listen, you read 1 John chapter 4. And in 1 John chapter 4, it talks about the love of God. And it defines for us what I call high love and low love. Listen, high love is when we let the love of God permeate our hearts because we need to come to the realization that God is love. And we love God because He first loved us. But high love happens when we, when we get to the place where God God's love permeates us. And listen this morning, when God's love is able to do its work in us and permeate our lives and controls us, you can love anybody. You can love the unlovable. You can love those who don't love you. You can love those who despise God's word. You can love those who are hateful of Christianity and hateful of the message. When God's love controls you, that's high love. And listen, when there's high love in you, the Bible says that results in perfect love. Why? Because listen, in all of our lives, as we go through tribulation and sorrow, we have insecurities that develop. And with these insecurities, there come fears. You know, this is what the Bible says about high love. It says, perfect love casteth away all fears because fear has torment. And listen, when perfect love settles, that means God's love is so controlling of us. And God's love is so filling us. Listen, we, are, we, we, are, we abandon those fears and we abandon those insecurities. And we can go on because we know perfect love is working our heart. I remind you this morning, you might be someone that has a lot of insecurities because there's some things Going in your life, there's a lot of trouble. May I encourage you this morning. You just let God love you and let God permeate your heart, and just realize that God is love and God loves you, and He wants you to be so filled with His love that those perf- that those fears and insecurities go away, and you can re- you can just abound in Jesus Christ. And listen, you say, "Well, Pastor, you're encouraging people to come to so winning on next Saturday for our so winning outreach, and we're praying for 200 plus people to come." But I'm scared to talk to people, and I'm introverted and I'm shy. I understand that, but when perfect love controls you. It says this in 1 John 4, that you just feel at this place. You want to confess Jesus Christ, everybody. You want to. Amen? Amen. I'm just saying this morning, we have to understand that we get this place that, that we can be lonely and sorrowful and we can second guess ourselves. There's the hurt from tribulation. But listen, there's the hatred from tribulation. In John chapter 15, would you go back a chapter please? It's crippling tribulation. Jesus talked to them in chapter 15 about bearing fruit, the discipline of abiding in the word, the discipline of prayer, the opportunity to be a fruitful believer. By the way, how many believe this morning God wants us to be fruitful? Amen? But listen to what he says. He's telling us this is a reality check. John 15, notice Verse 18. If the world hates you, and it does, you knew that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, by the way, when you get saved, God saves you out of the world. Amen? Now that doesn't mean he takes you out of the world, but he takes you out of the world philosophy. He says this, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hated you. He's telling his disciples reality, listen, you guys were all successful businessmen, fishermen and tax collectors and all the rest, but I, I, I saved you. You've been following with me. You've identified with me. You identify with my doctrine. You identify with my purpose. You identify with my, my priority. I must seek and to save that which is lost. And listen, because you identify with me, the world hates you. And listen, this morning, if we go week in, week out in our lives, and we don't show any semblance that so we identify with Jesus Christ, and the world is buddy-buddy with us, listen, I'm going to tell you this morning, we have to reevaluate and ask ourselves this question. Have I gotten so close to the world that I, become, I look just like the world? Or am I getting closer to Jesus Christ? that people recognize there's something different about my life and my decision-making. He said in verse 19, note verse 20, Remember the word that I sent unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my same, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name, sake, because they know not him that sent me. Listen, there's the hatred from the world. Can I tell you this morning, the world hates our Savior. The world hates the Bible the world hates God you say how do you know that listen they kicked the Bible out of, out of the public school system they outlawed having prayer in the public school system you can't even quote the Bible in a school assembly without them saying something about to you that's, that, that is just that is, that is wrong and incorrect and you can't even offer a, a prayer in Jesus name without them contradicting you and telling you that's not allowed I'm telling you this morning if you haven't figured this out the world hates Christians and hates, its, hates the values of the Bible and hates our Savior himself Oh, this morning we see the diversity of tribulation. Notice the disabling in tribulation. Tribulation cripples us, impairs us. Instead of walking straight and walking with enthusiasm a step in in what you're doing, listen, we kind of hobble along the way. Crippling tribulation disables your desire to serve. David had gone through the ringer. His son Absalom had rejected him. Absalom led a revolt in the kingdom against David. David's number one counselor to Ahithophel turned and joined Absalom. Listen, through all that Absalom died a horrific death, Ahithophel committed suicide. Many of those people that joined sides with Absalom because they bought into his lies, they felt ashamed. They went into hiding. And listen, a time when David is a leader, and he was a good leader, When a time when David needed to stand up and rally all the people back to Jerusalem, he didn't do that. He was just standing behind. And listen, Joab had to rally the people, and Joab had to rally David, because David lost his desire to serve. And he says, he told the people, why speak you not a word of bringing back the king? He'll remind you this morning, you're going to be at the place, if it happened to David, and it happened to even people like Elijah, it could happen to you and I, that we can be so crippled by tribulation, we lose our desire to serve. Now I wonder this morning, is there somebody here that used to be very active for Jesus Christ, but you've been so crippled by tribulation, you're no longer we're serving, no longer making decisions for God. You're no longer doing this because you're so tripled by tribulation. Listen, tribula- tri- tribulation will disable us. Listen, crippling tribulation, tribulation disables the exercise of faith. Look at our theme verse, Exodus fourteen fifteen. You go on from there. In our previous year, twelve men, twelve leaders of the tribes of Israel went into Kadesh Barnea. And they went in that area, which is the area of the promised land. God, God didn't tell them to come back and tell us why we can't do it. You just go survey the land and tell us what you see. God didn't ask for their commentary. He, just said, go. he said, just tell me what you see. And they brought back these huge, humongous clusters of grapes. In fact, they were so big, it took two men to support the clusters of grapes on a pole. And they said, look at, look at these grapes of Eskel. Man, there's we've got food in the land. It's a wonderful place. But there are giants in the land. The sons of Anakim are there. Ten of those men, instead of the 40 days they were there, encouraging them, we can do it. We can get it done. They came back to Moses and said, Moses, we're not able we can't get it done. I think we better just stay here in this wilderness area, this barren area scorpions and venomous snakes and cactus and rolling bushes and sandstorms. Let's stay here. And listen, two men, Joshua and Caleb, said, No, listen, men, we are well able to overcome it. They said, No, you guys be quiet. We can't because we look like, we look like grasshoppers in their sight. And I'm just going to tell you this morning, crippling tribulation will lead you to not exercise faith. Crippling tribulation will lead you to run and hide. John Mark had the opportunity on the very first missions trip. You read this over in Acts 13. John Mark had the privilege of being in his his mother's home. When the church had a major prayer meeting, they literally prayed Peter out of prison was in the most difficult of situation. Humanly, it wasn't possible, but they prayed him out of prison. And John Mark was there as so he witnessed Peter coming back their home and the power of God working that. And one chapter later, he's taken with Paul and Barnabas on this first missionary trip, and they go to the island of Cyprus and they make their way through Cyprus and they come to a location called Paphos. And Paul is a confrontation with a with a with a man who works up witchcraft and demon work, and God did a great work in that uh, that place. And a man by the name of Sergius Paulus, who was the deputy of that area, got saved. It was a wonderful thing. And Paul and Barnabas were were inspired. They said, well, let's keep on going. And they went to an area called Perga. And they've got the Perga. It was there. The Bible says John Mark went back. This is John Mark got to the place where he saw the trouble and the tribulation. And he started thinking about, I'm not sure this is the way I really want to live. He says, man, we have to, we've had to sleep out in the open. And we didn't know where our food was going to come from. And I, that's my first encounter with demon-possessed people. And I really don't know if that's what I want to do. I'm just saying today, when tribulation, when tribulation, because we're not very careful, tribulation brings fear out of us. And we want to run and hide. It disables us. It cripples us. I wonder this morning... What troubles are you facing today? I wonder what diversity troubles you're having that are disabling you and crippling you. We see crippling tribulation, but I've got some good news this morning. Would you notice number two the conquering triumph? Because Jesus said, He said, Listen, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you should have tribulation, but I have overcome the world. Isn't that great? I have overcome the world. And he says, listen, you have your crippling tribulation, but I want to tell you about conquering triumph. He said, I want you to know, yeah, the world is tough. And yes, the world is evil. And yes, the world lieth in wickedness. And the world has a lot of pressures. And the, the world will weigh us down. But he says, I've overcome the world. Let me tell you this morning, drugs and opiates have not overcome the world. And marijuana has not overcome the world. And liquor has not overcome the world. And going to the psychiatrist has not overcome the world. And getting more money doesn't overcome the world. And becoming the richest man in fame is not going to overcome the world. And no matter what your job ambition may, that's not overcome the world. All those things might be helpful. But I'm going to tell you today, what's overcome the world is our Savior, the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ. We have an absolute and unchangeable promise from Jesus. One assurance to know that Christ has overcome the world. And they needed to hear that at that moment of time because their morale was very low. Why don't you notice the word overcome for a moment. It's a Greek word we find used many, many times in the New Testament. It's used 28 times. John alone in all of his writings, which includes the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation, uses that word overcome 21 of those 28 times. It's where we get our word Nike from Nikio. Overcome. Conquer. Victory in Jesus. Conquer overcome. It's a powerful masculine word. It's a powerful description of what you can do through Jesus Christ. It's not what a self-help guru is going to get. They'll take Philippians 4.13 4, and tell you, you've got the power and you. know. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ, not through myself. I can do all things through Christ, not through the self-help course. I can do all things through Christ with strength in me. And we're seeing here this morning that we have victory alone in Jesus Christ. Listen, whatever suffering you're going through, Jesus has overcome the world. Whatever setback you're going through, Jesus has overcome the world. Whatever sorrow you're going through, Jesus has overcome the world. You've lost a loved one in the last several months, and last year, or whatever it may be. I want to tell you this morning, Jesus Christ has overcome this world. Notice, first of all, as we consider this conquering triumph, we must consider the power of Jesus Christ. Would you write this down? Jesus has overcome the world because he is God. Amen? Colossians chapter 1, would you turn there? In Colossians chapter 1, we have some powerful verses that remind us that Jesus Christ is God. By the way, he didn't become God. He's always been God. Amen? It says in Colossians 1 verse 15, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Do you get what he's saying there? He's saying Jesus is before all things, and Jesus will be here when all things disappear. Jesus is above all these things. He's creator God. Jesus is creator God. Look at verse 16. For by him are all things created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions. Listen, Satan has no existence except for the fact that Jesus made him as Lucifer, but he turned against Jesus. And listen, this morning we see whether it be thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, all things were Created by Him and before Him, and it says in verse 18, He is the head of the body, of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. Here's what I want you to understand this morning: We understand today Jesus has overcome the world for simply one reason: He's God. He's creator God. Listen, things did not happen by a big bang. God spoke the word and the worlds came into existence. But by faith, we know that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that things which appear were not made by things which already exist. Listen, everything, there was no such thing as a big bang theory. God spoke the word and God created so he's something out of nothing. He didn't take chaos and make it orderly. God has always been orderly. Our God is a God of order. He's creator God. He's co-equal God. Notice verse 15 he's the image of the invisible god notice in verse 19 that in him should all fullness dwell he's co-equal god he's not separate from god he's not man who became god or and he's not just god who became man he's 100 percent god 100 man he's always been god he's co-equal with god he's co-equal with god from the beginning he's co-equal with god in the end listen today i want to remind you today he's creator god he's co-equal god but notice verses 17 and 18 he's commander god amen The Bible says he's the head of the body, the church, who's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And we need to circle that word preeminence. And preeminence means that he's number one, that he's the highest of order, that he is above all else. He deserves our attention. He's commander of God. He's creator of God. He's co-equal God. But notice verse 19, he's completely God. Jesus Christ has overcome the world because he's God. But notice secondly, Jesus has overcome this world through his blood. Notice Revelation 12, 11, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives to the end. Let me remind you this morning, you go to prayer, thank God, because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You can enter into the presence of God, with the Bible calls the holiest of places, by the blood of Jesus Christ. His powerful blood gives you protection. His powerful blood overshadows you. His powerful blood enables you and I to overcome him. What's he talking about in Revelation chapter 12? We can overcome Satan and we can overcome the Antichrist philosophy by the blood of Jesus Christ. And by the way, this morning, Jesus Christ has overcome every enemy. Listen, this morning, we look at 1 John 3, 8. Jesus overcame Satan. Look look at this. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And by the way, he did destroy the works of the devil. Amen. Jesus Christ has overcome the enemy. He's overcome Satan. Listen, he's overcome sin. Romans 8, 3. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son. Listen, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus defeated Satan. Jesus defeated sin. Look at 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty. Jesus defeated death. Praise God. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. We thank God this morning as we consider conquering triumph. We have it through the power of Jesus Christ. But notice, secondly, we have it through the presence of Jesus Christ. Would you go to 1 John 4, 4, please? And I want to ingrain this, especially if you're a new believer here today or just starting to grow in the Lord. I want to impress upon you the wonderful presence of Jesus Christ in your life. 1 John 4, 4 it might be in your notes. If not, turn to 1 John 4, 4, chapter 4, verse 4. I love what John says here. He says, you're of God, little children. And by the way, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you belong to Jesus. Amen? He owns you. We're heirs with God and joint heirs with Christ. You're of God, little children. You're not no longer of the world. You're no longer of the devil. He says you're of God, little children. You have nikio them. In other words, you have overcome them. Notice why. Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Look at it again. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Listen, we can overcome because of the powerful presence of Jesus Christ and the life of every believer. It doesn't matter how frail we may be or how weak we may be or how incompetent we may feel we are or how inadequate we may be. Jesus Christ who lives inside of you and I gives us the ability to overcome. Listen, Christ living in you, you're greater than the devil. Christ living in you, you're greater than the world. And Christ living in you, you're greater than that sin ha- sinful habit. And Christ living in you, you're greater than the debt problem you've got. And Christ living in you, he's greater than your trial. He's greater than your problem. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Aren't you glad this morning we can conquer and overcome the world because of the presence of Jesus Christ? But notice he gives us something else. We can prevail as conquerors over the world. We can prevail over our problems because of the privileges through Jesus Christ. Going back in the chapter 16 of John. In chapter 16, as we read earlier, Jesus just told us that, you know, you're gonna have sorrow. You're gonna have tough times. You're gonna have tribulation. Things are going good. Rejoice in them right now. Trouble's coming. Trouble's on the way. And he used an analogy that people could identify. He talked about a woman in travail. He says she has sorrow in verse 21. He says you're going to have trouble. Notice verses 23 and 24. You're going to have trouble. When that happens, you're not going to ask me for help. But as you get through this, you'll come to the place where you will ask me for help. Look at verse 23. He said, and in that day you shall ask me nothing. But he says, truly or verily, verily, I say unto you, He's encouraging us. He says, listen, there's a privilege I'm going to give you in verse 23 and 24. That privilege is being able to come and ask in Jesus' name, coming under the authority of His name, the power of His name, for God to intervene. Would you notice how simply He says this? He says, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, He will give it to you. He says, hitherto you have asked nothing in my name, asking you shall receive that your joy may be full. Listen, maybe you've not, it's been a long time since you've prayed. Maybe you've not even gone to prayer. Maybe you've not prayed in the name of Jesus Christ. But the the privilege of asking in Jesus' name is we can ask God to lift the burden and we can ask God to come alongside of us and we can ask God to get us through our valley and we can ask God to help us in our situation. God answers our prayers not because of us, but because of the merits of Jesus Christ. Asking in the name of Jesus Christ is not a rabbit's foot or some lucky charm that we hang around our neck that's going to get us there. No, we're coming under the merits, under the power, under under the prestige of the name of Jesus Christ. His name is above every name. At his name every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Christ is Lord. We're not asking in Alan Fogg's name, and we're not asking in the president's name. We're not asking some prime minister's name. We're not asking the name of George Washington. We're not asking in the name of some some personality who may be great. Listen, we're asking in the name of the Creator God, Jesus Christ. We're asking the name that can answer prayer. We're asking the name that makes the devil flee away. We're asking the name that can save you from your sins. We're asking the name that gives you special privilege. And when you come in the presence of God, God says, Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son? And he's telling these believers, your sorrow has got overcome you and the joy has left you and you're living in sorrow instead of joy. But he says, hitherto you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. Amen. We have the privilege to the name of Jesus Christ today. So Jesus said, I have overcome the world. We see the crippling tribulation. We see concrete triumph very quickly, which notice with that in verse 33 jesus gives you and i something we must grasp hold of you see it's not just we're not to stay, stay in the crippling tribulation because we have a concrete triumph he said i've overcome the world he didn't say, I, I am overcome the world he said i've overcome it i've already defeated the world he says now with that you need to have continuous tranquility he says these things have i spoken unto you that in me you might have peace Everyone has a quest for peace, desire for peace. The emphasis of the 60s movement was peace. They didn't find it because the peace that you and I need is through Jesus Christ. And what he's talking about there, he says, in me you shall have peace. He's talking about continuous peace, continuous tranquility. Now, how do we get that? Well, we must consider the start of peace. Look at Romans 5.1. May I say this morning, Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. Amen? He's the Prince of Peace. He doesn't want you and I living under the pressures of a crippling tribulation. So notice the starting of peace, Romans 5.1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the word justified is a very important Bible word. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now, notice what happens here. Number one, you can't have peace until you have peace with God. Our sinful nature has us at enmity with God. There's animosity between us and God. Listen, we are sinners. We are sinners. And our sin has put us at odds with God because God must punish sin. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He says, for the wages of sin is death. We are under the condemnation of sin. We are at these odds. And so what we need is justification. He says, to be at peace with God, we need justification. Now, justification is when you realize as a sinner that though that the wages and punishment for sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? Say amen. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. God wants everyone to go to heaven. And God wants you to know that if you stay in your sins without your sins washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ, if you don't get your sins forgiven by God, by God's terms and God's way, you're going to die and spend all of eternity in hell. That's not where God wants you to go. That's not how God wants you to end up life. He wants you to know that you can be justified. So here's what he says. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, eternal life is where God wants... is is spending eternity in heaven. And we attain justification by realizing we are sinners, we deserve to be punished, but we accept with our heart, without any reservation, we accept by faith in our heart that Christ died for our sins. That he paid the price for every sin ever committed. He paid the price for every sinner. He paid the price in full. It's completed. The transaction is paid for. There's zero debt that you owe God. And so he says, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to save you, he justifies you. And justify means this. We are now free from the penalty of sin. We are now free from the penalty of sin. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, the penalty of sin is removed. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. That's wonderful. Amen. And so justification means he he takes his book... He takes this long sheet. We call it in legal terms, the rap sheet. Amen? You know, we call it the rap sheet. He takes your rap sheet with all your different things there. You know what he has there? He takes that rap sheet with everything on it that says all these bad things about you. And he blots it out. And he blots it out so that instead of a rap sheet looking like this, this is what God shows. Wow. Amen. And he looks at you and I, not as criminals, who stand there at a picture lineup like this. we stand there. the picture line up showing this. You're not under the penalty of sin anymore. And He looks at us just as if we never sinned. There's no penalty. What sins are you talking about? They're gone. No more condemnation. No more penalty. He's erased it. He's cleansed it away. Listen, that's wonderful because as we understand this morning, justification now, because He does that, we have peace with God. Because you went from this to this you have peace with God. And so now we go from having the start in peace to we realize there's a stipulation for peace. Because we have peace with God, now God wants us to have the peace of God. Understand that this morning? We have peace with God. God wants you to have peace with God. So notice in the Bible there's a stipulation to having continuous peace. Isaiah 26.3, would you turn there please? Or look in your notes. Thou will keep him in what kind of peace? Partial peace? Temporary peace? No, perfect peace. Isn't that? He'll keep him. He'll keep you in perfect peace. How? Whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. You see, perfect peace comes when we Wrap our thoughts in the adoration of our heart and total trust around Jesus Christ. I was telling our homebuilders class this morning you know, our our quest in marriage is perfect love. Perfect love happens when, as a husband, I so invest myself in my wife's life, her insecurities are gone, she has no fears. She's only no insecure. You're raising children. Children grow up with insecurities. As a parent, your greatest need is you teach them and train them and even discipline them. As they represent, as you're representing God's love, perfect love to them that you that casts out all their fears. And when that love, fear, those fears are gone away. Listen, here's what God does for us. We get our mind on the Lord. We get our mind on his love. We get our hearts wrapped around Jesus Christ. He says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusted in thee. Now the word trust means this, you you're not you just continuously are holding on to Jesus and you're not gonna let him go. You just trust him. I just keep trusting my Lord. Amen? Amen. And he says, the stipulation though is you must trust him. You must have your mind on him. Here's the problem we're kind of like the scales, the balance, right? We've got our mind on the problem. And we make the problem worse than it really is. And we make the problem, we magnify the problem where the problem's bigger than God when God's really bigger than the problem. Amen? Amen. And he says, get your mind wrapped around Jesus and don't don't get yourself off. Listen, the devil wants you to think the problem's always bigger than God. And the the devil wants you to believe that God's going to fail you and God's not going to help you. Listen, God never fails us as much as we fail him. And so he says, the stipulation is we must have, for perfect peace, is that we must have our mind in Him. Where there's a start of peace, there's a stipulation of peace, but there's a steadiness of peace. Would you notice how we keep it going? He says that in me, you might have peace. We call that the peace of God that passes all understanding. The peace of God that passes all understanding rules. Rules. It is conquered. It sits on the throne of our heart. It rules our hearts and minds. If you can do anything you, that's important for you this morning, you need to come to the altar, kneel at your chair today. And all those negative thoughts and all those worries and all those anxieties and all those fears and insecurities. God doesn't want you living in that kind of world. In The world you shall have tribulation, but in me you shall have peace. You need to give it to God and realize he'll get you through this. I like what Matthew Henry said. Listen to this. Safety consists not in the absence of danger, but in the presence of God. That's powerful. Peace that Jesus gives is not the absence of trouble, but it's rather the confidence that he is there with you always. Peace is such a precious jewel, he said, that I would give anything for it but truth. This morning we see the crippling of tribulation. We see the conquering triumph. We see this morning the continuous tranquility. Now how do you pull that all together as we close? Notice Jesus confronts us with the the fact. We must ask ourselves, will we have a confident trust. Now look what happens here as we're done. In verse 1, he tells us, he says, I've spoken these things to you that you should not be offended, that you don't scatter and run away, that you don't go and run into hiding. In verses 20 and 22, he talks about sorrow, but he also says, our sorrow shall be turned into joy. By the way, he says when he talks about turning into joy, he's talking about a transformation. It's not something you can conjecture and bring up, okay? He's talking about a a transformation. And if you study the Gospel of John, there's a lot of miraculous transformations, okay? We start off, Jesus transforms water into wine. We go a little bit later, and Jesus transformed five little barley loaves, kind of soup crackers, if I can call that, and two little sardines or anchovy fishes. He transformed five little loaves of bread and two little fishes so it feeds thousands upon thousands. Jesus takes a dead man and gives him life. God, Jesus takes a blind man and gives him sight. Jesus takes a man who had been crippled all his life and gives him the ability to walk. I mean, we see all these transformational things that Jesus Christ, the gospel of John, has tried to help instill something to us. Transformation comes from God. And if God can God can can transform those things. He can transform your sorrow into joy. Listen, if you're living in sorrow and you're living in problems and you're living in depression, and you're living in defeat, you're living in anxiety, you're living with worries, you're living with all those things. Listen, you can claim the same transformational power because just as much sorrow is like a woman going through birth and travail. He says, I will turn your sorrow into joy. He said, listen, I can do it. You, you don't scatter. Let, let me turn your sorrow into joy. And then he said in verse 33, he says, be of good cheer. He said, cheer up be positive. He said, I've overcome the world. But then he closes all that by asking us a question. Verse 31. Did you go there? They said, don't speak to some Proverbs anymore. He said, we believe that you came forth from God. Really? Really? You really believe I came from God? You really believe I'm Co equal with God? You really believe that I and the Father are the same? Do you really believe that, Peter? Do you really believe that, Andrew? Do you really believe that, John? Do you really believe that, Matthew? Do you really believe that? And so Jesus asked them a very searing, convicting question as we close in verse 31. Would you look at it? They said, We believe. And Jesus answered them in a question Do you now believe? And my question to you this morning Do you now believe? Believe. Do you believe he's God? Amen. Do you believe he died for your sins? Amen. All of them? Amen. you believe he can save you from your sins? Do you believe that he's overcome the world? Amen. Do you believe he can give you peace? Amen. Do you believe that? Do you believe that now? Those disciples were very quiet. Because he said, you don't believe. You don't have the faith. You see, many people go, listen, I'm done. Many people, many, many people. I talked to quite a few this week. was out so winning. They believe that they go to church and they perform the ceremonies and go through the rituals and say X number of prayers, burn a few candles and roll the beads and whatever it may be. Their conscience feels better, but in their heart of hearts, there's a bothering question. And the bothering question is, I do all those things, but how do I know for sure I'm going to heaven? How do I know for sure my sins are washed away completely and totally? How do I know for sure that I can have justification? You know, it's easy to come to church. You sit with a full house of people. You believe the same thing. You grasp hold of that. Say, I concur with that. You amen along with the preacher. But then you leave church, and as soon as you get in your car and you walk through your front door, those same troubles you came with, they still happen to be there. And the Lord asks us a question. Do you now believe? Do you now believe? And as a Christian, as a believer this morning, do you really believe that Jesus says who he is? That he's creator God? He's co equal God? He's commander God? And he's completely God? Do you believe? And this morning, you're not saved. You've just been religious, but you're not regenerated. You're not saved. You need to believe in order to be saved. You need to believe in order to have justification so the penalty of sin can be taken away. You need to believe with all your heart. Now, I'm not telling you need to get baptized. You don't need baptism to get saved. You don't need to go, go to church. You don't need to be a church member to get saved. Listen, you don't need all those good works. You know why? Because you can keep doing good works, but you're, it's, gonna be, it's, a, it's like a hamster going through a circle. You're going to keep adding good works. You're going nowhere with it. You're building nothing. It's not what you can do. It's what he's already done for us. Amen? Amen. He's already completed the task. Amen. He died on the cross for your sins and mine. Do you believe? And I know there's some people here this morning, you're not, you've not truly been born again. You've not truly put your faith and trust in Christ to save you. This morning, you can do that. You can be born into God's family today. You can have the assurance that you have the gift of eternal life. And you can know for a fact today that your sins are completely taken away by our Lord Jesus Christ. In this service, you can get saved. Christian friend, you are saved, but you're under the pressure. It's compressing you. You're walking around with a wrapped sheet that's already been forgiven. believe have faith in God stop trusting yourself when you have when you're at that place you're trusting yourself instead of a mighty God who's in control this morning believe this morning place your faith in Christ this morning follow the stipulation for peace trust him maintain that steadiness in him not in the world not in false substitutes, not in things, not in inhalants, not in opiates. In him you shall have peace. Because he said, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world.